You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Bar. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Happy Thursday to you. We've got a loaded show for you today. The first segment, we're going to talk all about the new Buffalo Bills defensive end, F.A. Obata. And then segment two and segment three will be my conversation with Lauren Cox, who is the host of the Lockdown Bears podcast. He does a fantastic job. And we are going to dig into the Mitchell Trubisky situation, talk about what went wrong and what went right for Trubisky in Chicago, and get Lauren's thoughts about his fit with the Buffalo Bills and the long-term future of Trubisky in the NFL. So we got a lot to get to. Let's start by talking about this new defensive end that the Buffalo Bills signed, F.A. Obata from the Carolina Panthers. He's 28 years old. He turns 29 in April. He was part of the International Pathway program, just like Christian Wade. He started off in the NFL from 2015 to 2016, bouncing around between the Cowboys, the Chiefs, and the Falcons. And then he was assigned to the Panthers in 2017, which really gave him a chance to develop. I know we have a lot of thoughts and comments and jokes about the Carolina pipeline and how Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott like to pluck players that they're familiar with from their time in Carolina. Well, folks... Obata was not there when McDermott and Bean were there. This just happens to be a player that was available that the Bills brought in with no connection from Bean and McDermott specifically. Now, you know, Eric Washington, the defensive line coach, surely knows uh, F.A. Obata. He coached him for multiple seasons in Carolina, so there is that connection. But this isn't a McBean uh, plucking a guy that they know uh, firsthand from their time together with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Obata was the first ever player from the International Pathway program to make a 53-man roster in the NFL, which is really cool, and he's got one heck of a story to get to that point where he's in the NFL and on an active roster. First of all, this dude was born in Nigeria. He was trafficked to the UK and abandoned on the London streets before social services stepped in. He discovered football late in life in college and started playing football for the first time when he was 22 years old for the London Warriors of the BAFA National League. And then he finally got his chance to go play football in the NFL. And um, I think he's been a really fun success story when it comes to the International Pathway program. And, um, you know, 2017, kind of a practice squad guy for the Panthers. But in 2018, 2019, and 2020, he he claimed a role. In 2018, he played in 10 games. And then 19 and 20, he played in all 16 games for the Carolina Panthers. In 18, he played 19% of the snaps. In 2019, he played 28% of the snaps. And then last year, 2020, he played 39% of the defensive snaps for the Carolina Panthers. And he picked up five and a half sacks. Five and a half sacks. Oh, by the way, folks, five and a half sacks would have led the Bills last year. F.A. Obata had more sacks than any player on the Buffalo Bills last year. And here's a fun fact. All five and a half of those sacks 
came in the last nine games of the season. So this dude finished hot. He's an ascending talent. There is untapped potential when it comes to F.A. Obata, even though he's going to be 29 in a few weeks. He's still new to football. He still has a very small amount of reps under his belt ever for his life playing football. So there is room for him to continue his ascension. I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that this is the next Jason Pierre-Paul, but I am here to tell you that this is a player that has a lot of exciting physical tools that we'll talk about here in a moment, but um, he's an ascending talent. He's playing his best ball most recently. Last year, those last nine games, he started to pour it on. In 281 pass rush snaps last year, Obana had 29 total pressures, five and a half sacks, nine quarterback hits, and 14 hurries. I'll tell you this about Obata. I, I live in Charlotte, and I'm plugged in with what's going on with the Carolina Panthers. A lot of friends and family members that I have are Carolina Panthers fans. They love this dude. Super high character guy. He brings a lot of juice to the table. He is going to fit right in with this Buffalo Bills locker room and culture. And, um, you know, it's it's a really good addition for so many reasons because we know the Bills needed some help on the defensive line. They needed to find some new answers for this rotation. It's only a one-year deal. We don't know the terms of the deal. I'm not assuming it's very expensive in terms of the contract. But for the Bills to be able to get an ascending talent like this to come in and help, I think it's a really good economic bargain bin type move that has some upside to it, and I like it a lot. I mentioned that he has really exciting physical tools. Size and athleticism, this dude checks the boxes, and you guys know that I like my football players that have the requisite size and athleticism to play the position, and uh, and Obata has that in waves. He measures six foot six and 265 pounds, so he's got great size, but how about this length? 35 and a half inch arms. He has vines for arms. Those arms, 35 and a half inches, that's in the 95th percentile for NFL defensive ends. He has an 83 inch wingspan, which is ridiculous. That is the wingspan of someone who is six foot 11. So he's got a lot of length to him, and that's a great trait to have if you're going to be a defensive end in the NFL. He runs a 4.63 40-yard dash at that size. That's in the 90th percentile. He had a 1.53 10-yard split, which is elite. 1.53 is the same 10-yard split that Sammy Watkins had. 121-inch broad jump. That is the 80th percentile. So this dude is a prototype. He's got great size, length, and he is explosive. And when you see this guy, he is chiseled. He is jacked up. He is a first off the bus type player. I'm not sure if you've heard that phrase before, but that's uh, what you say when you, you talk about a football player that looks the part and just, you know, you want that guy. When your bus pulls up to the football stadium, that's the guy you let off the bus first so everyone can see what your football team is all about. F.A. Obata certainly checks the boxes in terms of size and athleticism. I like his versatility a ton. He can play inside and outside. He's been a base end for the Panthers, and he's also played a ton from the interior at defensive tackle. So think about that role that we envisioned for Quentin Jefferson last year where he played some on the edge and some on the inside. F.A. Obata gives the Bills a player that can give them that same type of versatility 
And Obata has some experience on special teams. He's not a Daryl Johnson-like four-phase special teams player, but he was used on kick coverage in 2018 and 2019 and on punt coverage in 2019. So special teams covering kicks is not a foreign concept to him. He's done this before at the NFL level, and that's going to give him a leg up when it comes to uh, claiming a role for the Buffalo Bills. So let's talk about his role in Buffalo and where he fits into this depth chart. The Bills have shown a willingness to keep five defensive ends. They did that last year with Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, A.J. Epinesa, Daryl Johnson, and Trent Murphy. So I think there's a good chance that the Bills will keep up to five defensive ends again this year, especially when you think about your two lead guys being Hughes and Addison being older players. You probably want to reduce their workload a little bit to kind of keep them fresh and get the most out of them at this point in their respective careers. And so it's nice to have a guy like Obata and Epinesa in the mix that can eat up some of those early down reps and enable Hughes and Addison to be fresh and coming in on those third downs, those passing situations where they're going to be fresh and and really kind of allow the Bills to get the most out of those guys at this point in their career. So You think about this defensive end room, I I anticipate the Bills will keep at least four, possibly five. Hughes, Addison, and Epinesa, absolute roster locks in my opinion. That fourth guy is probably right now F.A. Obata, who's a better player than Daryl Johnson, and the Bills could still keep Daryl Johnson on the roster to be that fifth defensive end and provide that special teams value that he brings to the table. So, There's a good chance that the Bills roster, when that first 53-man roster is finalized, assuming everyone's healthy, your defensive ends are Hughes, Addison, Epinesa, Obata, and Daryl Johnson. Now, look, there's a chance the Bills draft an edge at some point, uh, which you would think would probably have a a clear path to the roster if it's an early-round selection, in which case that's probably not great news for Daryl Johnson. So the Bills make a signing here in F.A. Obana that I like a ton, a player that really fits, I think, the culture, the locker room. He's got great size, great athleticism. He's an ascending player, really turned it on the last nine games last season, five and a half sacks over the last nine games of the, the 2020 season. A uh, guy that's new to football, an ascending talent, And there's some untapped potential here, and I'm really excited to see what type of role he can claim for the Bills next season. RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices that you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is that amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on every single bar. Now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness, and they're having a tournament with all the flavors of Built Bar 
to figure out which one is the best. And today's matchup is mint brownie versus coconut puff. My wife likes mint brownie a ton, so that's my pick today. I'm not a big fan of either one of these flavors, but my wife really likes the mint brownie, so that's my vote. If you want to vote, go to BuiltBar.com or find Built Bar on Twitter to vote for your choice. And remember, use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. I'm joined now by Lauren Cox, the outstanding host of the Locked On Bears podcast, and He's been on the podcast before, but last time it was to talk about drawing parallels between the 2019 Bills and the 2018 Bears, and if Josh Allen was the next Mitchell Trubisky, and here we are today talking about them being in the same quarterback room in Buffalo. So let's reflect back on the end of Trubisky's run in Chicago and then get into your thoughts on him as a Buffalo Bill. And and Lauren, we all know that Mitchell Trubisky – he faced a make-or-break season in 2020. And as insurance, the team brought in Nick Foles to back him up, compete. And then, as we know, after two and a half games, Trubisky was the starter to begin the year. He was then benched. And so with what appeared to be a really short leash on Trubisky, do you believe it was a fair decision to bench him after just two and a half starts? Yes and no. I mean, maybe I should give you a more definitive answer. Yes, it was fair, right? It w- the, the reason why I hesitate is because of the COVID season and because there was such a limited training camp and a limited offseason and all these different factors, it gave Trubisky the early advantage over Nick Foles in terms of that starting lineup. Foles never really had a true shot to start in week one, so... If, if in a normal offseason, Mitch Trubisky might not have even gotten that opportunity. So I think they were very hesitant to make that swap until they really felt like Foles would be ready. And through the first two and a half games, the defense was playing pretty well. The running game was playing pretty well. The offensive line was holding up well. They had you know an emerging young weapon with Darnell Mooney. Like it felt like a lot of the pieces were coming together and the quarterback spot was still holding them back at least a little bit. It was still too much inconsistency there. And the thought process was that you make that change two and a half games in, even after starting two and oh, and Foles could come in and take your quarterback play at least a little bit better and make your offense and your whole team that much more well-rounded. And of course, from there, a lot, a lot of things started falling apart around the quarterback spot and it revealed some of Foles' flaws as well. And, in, in retrospect, you wonder if things could have gone differently. But at the time, it, it felt like a short leash, but it felt like the opportunity to really improve this offense. And that was why you brought Nick Foles in. As Trubisky had two and a half games to show whether he could take that next step in this offense. And for now, we had seen kind of more of the same 2019 guy as, as opposed to the 2018 and 2017 Trubisky. So you make an interesting point there about... Um, potentially obvious, obviously it's upgrading the position and seeing if Foles can elevate the offense. And do you think it was always their hope that he was going to be the starter? Like if there was a normal training camp and preseason and onboarding opportunity for Nick Foles to come in and and win the job, do you think that they would have handed him that job starting in week one, or was it always Trubisky has to fail first and then we'll go to Foles? I think it was, 
I mean, they wanted to give Trubisky the opportunity to fail first, but I think they could have seen the preseason and training camp as his opportunity to fail first. Like, I don't think they brought in Nick Foles with the explicit plan to instantly make him your week one starter. I mean, it was very clearly to give them both the opportunity to compete. I think if they had wanted to just directly replace Mitch Trubisky, they had four or five other much better quarterback options. They could have gone to last off season. So it was a real competition, but I think the, the feeling around the team was that Foles would have won the competition even before the regular season. And he still needed just those extra few weeks to get acclimated and get used to his teammates and the offense and everything else. That's a good point about the potential opportunities to bring in better quarterbacks than Foles. And they could have done that. Instead, they actually gave up draft capital to bring in Foles. So I, I see what you're saying there. He's the, he was the prototype that they kind of wanted to introduce to this scenario. But uh, as we know, Trubisky, he returns to the lineup in week 12. And I thought he played reasonably well to close out the season. The Bears offense was humming. I mean, I, I would say it, it was a really good stretch of, of Bears offense there to, to close out the year. So what was different uh, about his second stint as a starter in 2020? For some reason at the bye week, right? So his first start was after the bye week and the Bears had just lost four games in a row. They would end up losing their first two after the bye, but started playing much more consistently and, and winning some games after that. That was to the point where I think Matt Nagy really started feeling the pressure of like, oh my, I'm, I might lose my job here. This is, this is, this is tough. And to be fair, Nick Foles got hurt and that was what led the initial decision to get Trubisky back in. It was a little bit more of an injury force, but along with that, Matt Nagy realized if I keep trying to run the same offense we were running in the first three weeks, I'm going to get the same Trubisky and I'm going to not like where my offense is going, especially because at the time the offensive line had COVID and injuries and they were starting undrafted rookie free agents right on the starting offensive line. I mean, it was, it was a mess and it was not a good spot for Nick Foles and it wasn't a good spot for Trubisky to start. So Nagy kind of digs deep with his coaching staff, especially during the bye week And they really changed up the offensive system. And instead of trying to force Mitch Trubisky to be this Andy Reid West coast quarterback, they really started implementing a lot more of the Kyle Shanahan style of play action and wide zone and rollouts off of that, that really used Mitch Trubisky's mobility much more to his advantage. They finally, became a heavy play action team, something I think Bears fans have been wanting from Matt Nagy forever, even just in his system. He always had a reluctancy to do too much in the play action and moving pockets always seemed like a good idea for Trubisky and getting his legs more involved always seemed like a good idea. And it was something the Bears were always hesitant to because they wanted to kind of push Trubisky and make him grow as more of a pure pocket quarterback because that's where he needed the improvement. And by the end of the season, it was sort of waving the white flag on that and just saying, all right, let's just get Let's just squeeze as much as we can out of Mitch Trubisky because we know we only have like six or so games left with him. We're probably not going to re-sign him, and let's just try and win as much as we can to save our jobs. Lauren, I'd be lying if I said I've I've dug into the Chicago Bears offense under Matt Nagy, right, to like really understand the way that Trubisky was used and how he was asked to play. But you said something there that floored me. And that was about the wide zone attack and getting the pocket moving and, and, and incorporating a lot of play action. I did watch a lot of Trubisky at North Carolina, and that's what he did well. Are you telling me that for four years in Chicago, they tried to make him a pocket passer because that is where he needed to improve the most and ignored what he did the best? I mean, are, are you being real? 
I mean, I wouldn't say they ignored the rest of it, but the mobility was always something that was a bonus, right? It was not something that was a consistent part of at least the passing game. They just do some read option runs with him and there are occasional play action and occasional rollouts, but it was not the heavy focus of the offensive system. The, the mobility was his ability to escape and extend plays and then sometimes turn a broken down play into a great play, but it wasn't the primary focal point of the offense. It was very much like, let's, you know, kind of like Alex Smith a little bit in Kansas city where it's like, there's, there's some mobility there, but they want him to deliver short, accurate passes and get yards after the catch. And it was not, it was not part of the offense consistently for the first three years. So let's uh, laser back in on, on the bears today and they've made the choice, right? Trubisky is now a Buffalo bill. And they have signed Andy Dalton to be the starting quarterback in Chicago. And kind of like we talked about with Mitchell Trubisky going into 2020, make or break season for him. I think you would agree that this is a make or break season for Matt Nagy and potentially general manager Ryan Pace. So when you consider those layers, do you agree with this decision to move on from Trubisky and roll with Andy Dalton in a make or break season for you know the coaching staff in front office there's two parts to that and there was never Mitch Trubisky was never going to come back to the Bears I mean I I guess you can't say never say never but he didn't want to come back and the Bears didn't really seem to want him back I don't feel like Andy Dalton is this clear and obvious upgrade over everything the Bears had at quarterback last year and I don't really understand the thought process as to why they think he's all of a sudden going to make this offense drastically better than it's been in the previous years. He feels like a very lateral move, maybe, you know, slightly more experienced, maybe slightly more accurate, but similar sort of mobility concerns as, as Nick Foles and not a guy that really does well when things don't go all that great around him. So it doesn't, it feels like it didn't really matter who they're going to plug into quarterback. If they don't improve everything around them, it's going to be a real challenge. And so I, I guess I felt like with Trubisky, he's a quarterback that I can at least trust to do something a little bit more out of structure that if he doesn't have the perfect supporting cast, maybe the legs and maybe you can work the mobility and the whole offensive system around that to make it work like the bears did in 2020, where I don't think you can really do that with Dalton and Foles. And so like, I think full, I think Dalton is a better overall quarterback, but if I'm in a tough spot where the bears seem to be offensively, I, I like to think in a pinch, I can, make a big play easier with Trubisky than I can Andy Dalton. It's just that long-term consistency. You get, you're a little bit more secure with what Dalton and Foles can do. So you've had a a front row seat to Trubisky in Chicago since he was a member of the team back in 2017. And you've watched him play a lot of football, 50 starts for the bears. What stood out to you the most from covering Trubisky as a Chicago bear? You know, what stood out to me, I guess, is a combination of things, but I think the it always felt like he was on the precipice of more and like he was he was close to figuring things out. And every offseason, it was, you know, Trubisky's made this big step forward you know, during OTAs and training camp. It's like he's an, almost like a new guy. Like he's he's more con- every year. It was, he's more confident. He's more he's got a better understanding of the offense, the all the players can can feel the difference with Trubisky this year. And we never really saw that executed on the field. And I've kind of got the impression that he's a, he's a better practice quarterback than he is an in-game quarterback in terms of 
all the different things flying at you on the field on Sunday, whereas in a more controlled environment in practice, he can see the field a little bit more clearly and can you know understand what coverages are going to come his way and be a little bit more predictable from the defense and be able to know how to best attack that from an offensive standpoint. So like, I think where he has struggled is when defenses are really throwing a lot at him, when the coverages are being disguised, when there's a, a lot of different players at the line of scrimmage and you're not sure where the blitz and where the pass rush is going to come from. You know, he can get a little excited. He can get a little bit off edge and he can then rush his throw or, or kind of ignore some of his mechanics. He tries to be, the hero and uh, Matt Waldman from the rookie scouting before they always calls it tries to, to do hero ball is the word he uses. And I think that's great for Trubisky. Like when it's, when it's a key moment or when he's in the red zone and he needs to kind of step up and make a play, he'll just try too much and he'll try and do too much. And it's, it's frustrating because he can get you there and, and he puts himself in the right position and then just can't execute it when he needs to. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what some time on the bench and maybe working a little bit of a different offensive ecosystem can do for him from a, a mental standpoint, from a you know football IQ and understanding the game and being able to really take that step back and see it from a different perspective. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL seasons are all in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV and they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the new scores and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You know, when Chicago made him the number two pick in the 2017 draft, I think there was always a little bit of a risk associated with that, and primarily because Trubisky was a one-year starter at North Carolina, just not a guy that entered the NFL with a ton of reps. And so I know that Matt Nagy didn't draft Mitchell Trubisky, but when you think about the way Chicago built around him and tried to create an environment where he can succeed, do you think they did a good enough job setting him up for success? No, but I think a quarterback that you take number two overall shouldn't necessarily need this environment for success. So I, I, you know, I think part of that's just the curse of where he was drafted. It has not been a perfect supporting cast, but they have tried, right? Every, every, every effort has been made to support him. I mean, they went and signed Allen Robinson after his first year and got him a number one wide receiver. They've used a number of at least like mid-round draft picks to try and bolster a little bit of the offensive line. They've got some different running back talent in there. And of course the Bears defense has been pretty solid for the majority of Mitch Trubisky's career. So like it feels like it should be generally close to enough for a quarterback that is a legitimate franchise level starting quarterback in the NFL. But Trubisky's much more in that, you know, bottom half of NFL starting caliber and he needs a little bit more. And I think the, the big argument might be whether or not the coaching staff really utilizes a system that was good for Trubisky or whether they were trying to fit Trubisky into a system. And there was always a lot of back and forth on that where sometimes it felt like the bears were intentionally keeping the training wheels on for Trubisky and really dumbing things down and simplifying it to make those reads as easy as possible. And there was some frustration like, all right, let's, let's open things up. But every time they tried to open things up and do a little bit more, Trubisky didn't seem ready and able to handle it. So this kind of back and forth of how much responsibility and how the offense was going to look, there wasn't 
a lot of consistency in offensive identity and that sort of direction for Trubisky that I, I really don't think did him any favors along the way. So it sounds like it was never your expect- expectation for Trubisky to be back in Chicago. So you, you always thought in your mind that he was going to go play for some other team starting in 2021. And so I'd like to know what your initial reaction was when you learned that Trubisky signed with the Buffalo Bills. And was that the type of scenario that you envisioned for him? Did you think he would go to a team where he would be absolutely a backup with no real opportunity to be the starter? Or uh, is that something that you think could be, at the end of the day, the best thing for Trubisky is, uh, like you said kind of earlier, a little time on the bench? Yeah, I my initial reaction was like, oh, good for him. Like Buffalo is a, obviously a successful team that has a lot of strong, I think, yeah, offensive ecosystem is the word I like to come back to. Like obviously getting Josh Allen to kind of turn things around, at least from a national perspective of playing at such a high level this past year. And, you know, Dable in head coaching interviews, like that seems to be a really good space for a quarter, like quarterback like this to go to. I think my expectation was this offseason that he would, he would just more prefer to sign somewhere where he could have a chance to compete for that starting job, or maybe the quarterback situation would change and he could have that opportunity. I think Washington was a landing spot that was floated out there a lot. Uh, the, the 49ers as well with Jimmy Garoppolo kind of unsure and with some injury history there, you know, some places where you felt like maybe, maybe he wouldn't even get the chance to start week one, but something could happen at quarterback and he could have at least some sort of opportunity there. And whereas Buffalo, you know, very clearly Trubisky is just going to be on the bench unless something catastrophic happens to Josh Allen. And when it's all said and done, I think there's something to be said about how that could be good for him. I think inherently just throwing somebody on the bench isn't good for him unless they're actually getting good and good coaching, good instruction and, and getting to be a part of a, a, a good offense and watch a quarterback like Josh Allen play, especially one that can draw some parallels like we did not that long ago on the podcast. So of all the places for him to be a pure backup quarterback, I think Buffalo is a good one. You know, what's interesting is, is you can actually add some perspective on this in, in that for Trubisky to come to Buffalo, he, in my mind, absolutely upgrades Matt Barkley, who had been the backup for the last couple of <laughs> seasons. And I mean, Barkley's a guy you're familiar with. I mean, he's thrown 212 passes in his career. 129 of those came as a member of the Chicago Bears. So you've seen a lot of Matt Barkley. And so I guess my two-part question here, or, or one statement and then the question, Matt Barkley meant a lot to the Buffalo Bills from uh, just being in the room with Josh Allen, a good mentor to him, and and you could tell that he brought a lot of energy. He embraced that role as a backup quarterback, and you know I think everyone appreciated him for that, but you never really wanted to see this guy on the field. And, um, you know, the Bills roster, I think we could both agree is really, really good. And, and to be one snap away from going to, to Matt Barkley as your backup quarterback to, to your starter is something that concerned me. And I know a lot of other people that cover the Bills and Bills fans. So when you think about Trubisky as an upgrade to Barkley, would you agree that that's a significant upgrade? Drastic. I mean, I, I don't know that I have a fair representation of Barkley because that year in Chicago, he he was the third string quarterback and they were two quarterbacks down and their supporting <laughs> cast was just, it was Cameron Meredith was wide receiver one. And they had, I mean, just, it was a mess. That whole year was a complete and total mess under John Fox. But yes, Matt Barkley is very exceedingly, he's one of those guys, he's Chase Daniel. You hire him as a quarterback coach who happens to sit on your quarterback depth chart, but Mitch Trubisky is a backup where, if, if Josh Allen gets hurt, you know, in late in the fourth quarter, gets a concussion, you can put Trubisky in and 
feel like you might win this game still. Like the game is not over. You don't want to have, you know, if, if Josh Allen is out for the season, you know, you're not going to be a, a 13 win team necessarily anymore, but at least, you know, in, in a pinch in, in clutch time, you know, you have to throw him in there and you just need somebody to make a play. And if you keep things simple for him, he, he can still, you can still win football games with Mitch Trubisky. And I don't know if you can win football games with Matt Barkley. I'm going to throw one in here that I, I didn't warn you about, but as I started to talk about, um, you know, familiarity with Matt Barkley, there's another player that's new to the Bills, and that's Tanner Gentry, the wide receiver. He started his career with, with Chicago Bears back in 2017. He, he didn't play a ton. He caught three passes for 35 yards. But what can you tell us about Tanner Gentry from, you know, his time in Chicago, why he didn't necessarily claim a role? And obviously, we're excited about him and his familiarity with Josh Allen from their time together in Wyoming, but it, the NFL version of Tanner Gentry, what can you tell us? Yeah, Tanner Gentry hasn't been in the NFL for a few seasons now. I think he was in the XFL, but didn't get any playing time. So, I mean, like, he hasn't played a professional football snap in years. So, yep. keep expectations bare minimum. But no, in Chicago, he was, he was one of these like training camp heroes, right? Every, yep. every year players or fans fall in love with some guy at training camp who, and he had some good moments in the preseason. Absolutely. Uh, a real deep threat. And it's not necessarily like, you know I mean? He's like six, two, he's not going to burn by everybody. He's not that dynamic elite athlete, but nice job ball tracking, getting up high pointing the ball. It's, you know, but again, he's not like six, five either. He's just kind of got that nice sort of in between, right? He's not a, a well-rounded route runner by any means, but he knows how to attack the ball in the air and knows how to sort of set up his defender a little bit to shield them from the ball with his body and kind of go up and make some plays. And he, he, he really flashed some things in Chicago and was a part of their wide receiver rotation. Again, at a time when, you know, they had Eddie Royal and Kendall Wright <laughs> and just awful, awful wide receivers. And in, in a normal or in a regular offense, you know, he wouldn't have cracked the rotation anywhere at all, but he, he was, yeah, he was an exciting young guy. And I, the fact that he hasn't been able to stick in the NFL tells you that he probably isn't going to crack the, the Buffalo bills wide receiver rotation, but he'll be a fun guy in the preseason and training camp, assuming we get a normal one this year. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. That guy for every team, that one receiver, this is that training camp hero, that preseason hero, Tanner Gentry screams that, you know, <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure this will be a lot of buzz with him in the off season. And then everyone's heart will be broke when uh, he's a practice squad guy for the bills. But let, let's get back to Trubisky here. And um, maybe you could just tell us, like we've, we've talked a lot about him and his skill set, but what are the bills getting in Trubisky? What do you think his strengths, his weaknesses are? And I guess the big question here is, is Trubisky as bad of a quarterback as social media makes him out to be? No, I mean, he's not a good quarterback. Like, I don't want to give you illusions of like, oh man, we got, we got an NFL starter on our bench. I mean, he, you can kind of almost put him in the, the Marcus Mariota type range where you, you have some question like, oh, like he's probably the, you know, in between the, the 35th and the 25th best quarterback in the NFL, you know, right in that borderline starting range, but he's not awful. He's a guy that, I mean, he went 12 and four and went to the playoffs, right? I mean, I know he had a really good defense and that offense and then that, that team carried him, but right. You, you can't just plug any quarterback in. You can't plug Matt Barkley in and go and win 12 games. Like it, he has, there, there has to be some inherent quarterback talent there. He's got the arm. He can make pretty much all the throws. Occasionally you have kind of funky lower body mechanics in the pocket. And especially the, the running Twitter joke from our mutual friend, Arif Hassan is that Mitch Trubisky can't throw left. There's this whole 
there's this whole meme where you look at passing charts and a lot of times he just doesn't like to throw left. And sometimes he's tend to be a little bit more inaccurate throwing to his left and the bears offense always seem to funnel passes to the right side of the field. So I guess that's one thing to be ready for, but you know, he can, he can at least fire off the deep shot. The, the touch and the ball placement downfield can be a little bit hit and miss. And certainly, you know, underneath over the middle type throws, ball placement can be up and down too. you know, the wider, the catch radius, the better for Mitch Trubisky. But I think there's some of that in Josh Allen as well, to a, a much lesser extent. So yeah, he's, he, he's just a big guy who can move and he can move, he can throw and he's got, he's got the arm. It's just being able to consistently read coverages and sometimes making the easy throws can be difficult for him. If he just hurries it a little bit or skips it a little bit too fast and doesn't properly go through his full mechanics of passing in the pocket, he'll just miss throws that an NFL quarterback should be able to hit. And sometimes he'll make those decisions of thinking he sees one thing in coverage and seeing it wrong because, you know, the safety's rotated or, a, you know, a cornerback kind of bails off of what he was going to do and goes and tries to make a play. Like he, he's always been really good against the man coverage, heavy defenses. He tears up the Detroit lions every year. He used to tear up the, the Cowboys pretty regularly. Like if, if you're a defense, that's not just not going to change up your coverages and you're going to be pretty obvious that's where he has this six touchdown game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they just ran cover three all game. And it was post wheel routes over and over and over again and always hit one or more and had a huge game. So like he's going to win football games if you have to have him in there, but he's a guy that more so you win with and not win because of. You mentioned that 12 and 14 back in 2018, the bills ran into that Chicago bears team and lost 41 to nine. And not Whoops. that Trubisky was overly dynamic in that game, but I do remember him making some really big time throws on third down to uh, move the change, the bigger story, probably three interceptions from, from Nathan Peterman and Eddie Jackson scoring one of his <laughs> 1 million defensive touchdowns for his life. But uh, yeah, that, that was a, a fun team back in 2018. And so as we wrap up this discussion and we think about Trubisky, you know, moving forward in his career, one thing that's really interesting to me about him being in Buffalo is the opportunity to work with Brian Dable. And we've been on Dable watch for two years now about him potentially getting a head coaching job. I thought he was gone this year. I thought for sure the Chargers were going to hire him. Well, that didn't happen last year in, in 19 uh, going into the 20 season. You know, I thought you know he was a finalist for the Cleveland job. So it feels like it's only a matter of time uh, before Dable gets that head coaching gig. And you have to think that a year with Trubisky is probably really good for Trubisky to potentially go with Dable to whatever team he takes over and not necessarily to be viewed as the, you know, the answer long-term at quarterback, but to be in the mix where it's probably a situation where they're going to draft a young quarterback or, or something along those lines. So do you see a path forward for Trubisky to earn another starting opportunity in the NFL? And maybe I just outlined his best chance of doing that. Yeah, I think that is at this point, his immediate best chance. But I, you know, I think, I think he and Marcus Mariota, it's, it's a, it's a good comp in terms of their, their situations, right? Like he goes to, he goes to Las Vegas and is keeping his eye out on other potential starting opportunities and feels good about what he's been there and ended up having an opportunity to play for Derek Carr, but not necessarily counting on Derek Carr getting hurt every year. He's not necessarily that type of injury prone quarterback. So I, yeah, I think, I think Trubisky will get another opportunity to start somewhere, but I, I don't think it's going to be right away. I think this was a good offseason to have that opportunity with the number. Like if he was going to get one right away, it was going to be this offseason because his best play 
that we've seen in a long time was the most recent tape. And it's a, what have you done for me lately league? And I think the f- a little bit farther, once you get removed from some of that, you know, I, I think when you get farther removed from your bad play, teams like to like you a little bit more. Like we start to think about Mariota as, as, Oh, like maybe he could be better, even though, uh, you know, he hasn't played much at all. He played like a game since we last saw him in Tennessee and Jameis Winston, the same thing. And since his 30 interception season, it's like, Oh, well maybe we, we, we all of a sudden we like Jameis Winston now more yeah. after having not seen him play for a season. And I, I'm curious whether with Trubisky, I, I would think because he had just played his best football that like if a team was going to still believe in Trubisky, it would have been right after seeing that. But maybe another year off, you start to forget about some of the bad stuff before that and, and teams start to think, oh, well, maybe maybe there is something more there. But this was a good offseason of ample quarterback opportunity and teams like the Patriots and Bears and Washington and San Francisco and so many other teams opted not to sign Trubisky. And I, I think that's a bad sign for the short-term future, but he's so young and was a high draft pick and all those things. I think he'll get another shot eventually. At 26 years old, like you said, he played probably his best football of his career. The last time we saw him, maybe someone's curious and said, well, I wonder what he's learned after a year in Buffalo, but you know, maybe he'll just be the long-term backup in Buffalo. Who knows? But Lauren, I really appreciate you giving us some of your time and, and digging into this Trubisky stuff. Um, you know, he, he's no longer your problem. So uh, imagine I put this out on Twitter, uh, after the, um, the, the move was made. And I said, imagine social media's response to the bills bringing in Trubisky. If, if Josh Allen didn't do what he did in, uh, in 2020, and all of a sudden you had a, a Trubisky Allen competition, uh, to be the quarterback this year, the, fortunately Allen did what he did and, and changed that narrative, but, uh, here they are in the same quarterback room. And, uh, thanks for taking some time to talk about that. Hey, I appreciate it. Enjoy Trubisky's a good guy, a hard worker, just a, a guy that teammates love and is fun to be around. So I think Buffalo is going to embrace him with open arms and he's going to be a fun fit there. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast breaking down the signing of F.A. Obata, and then, of course, a great conversation with Lauren Cox on Mitchell Trubisky and uh, what happened in Chicago, what could happen with the Bills, and what that long-term outlook is for Trubisky in the NFL. Got another episode coming for you tomorrow, and if everything goes according to plan, I'm going to cover some subject matter that is a little dicey, a very divisive talking point in the Bills community and one that I have some strong opinions about. And I'm also going to bring in a guest for one of our segments to offer their perspective that is different than mine. So tomorrow's podcast is one you're not going to want to miss. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.